Amen. Blessed truth. Thank you, Joshua. Very special to have him sing tonight. Uh, his parents were in the church that I was in in Chicago. In fact, his dad was one of my teachers in the Christian school. And I was in uh, some of his Shakespearean plays. <laughs> I was never the best actor, but I was in them. And he was uh, just a blessing. And so uh, thank you for that tonight. What a blessing. In fact, I've enjoyed the music just all week long. Brother Kevin, thank you. And all the various uh, uh, ladies that uh, played the piano, different ones that have sung the choir. My heart has just been blessed over and over again. And I mean that. And uh, what a joy uh, to uh, be here in these days. I uh, have uh, just enjoyed an audience that's here to listen. You know, uh, uh, preachers do notice their audience. <laughs> and uh, we can see the difference between eyeballs and eyelids. <laughs> and uh, it's a whole lot better when it's eyeballs. <laughs> and uh, certainly been a, a wonderful audience. And the upturned face uh, obviously speaks well of the ongoing ministry that's taking place as there's a cultivation of uh, people desiring to hear from God. And I've certainly sensed that this week and have enjoyed uh, talking uh, with uh, various ones of you before and after the service and uh, just the articulation of what God's doing in your heart and uh, just been a blessing. It's been a joy. Uh, when I pulled up on Saturday, uh, it's always, uh, it's always uh, uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know how to even describe it, when you pull into a church you've never been to before and uh, your pastor and I have corresponded, but I, I thought, you know, I don't think I've ever met him and so you just don't know, you know. And uh, I'll tell you, I was just refreshed. It was like coming to a, a spring and just drinking and just uh, uh, catching his heartbeat for God and for Jesus and just the reality of the Spirit of God. And uh, just immediately, I felt like I'd knew, known him for a long time. And I've certainly been blessed by our fellowship in these days together. I praise the Lord uh, to meet another man that I uh, recognize as one being on the revival trail. God's doing something in our country today, and uh, there's, there's little pockets and little uh, indications that God's on the move. And uh, there's uh, a lot of things happening in our world today, uh, but there's some encouragements right here in the USA as well. And uh, this week has been one of them. Uh, thank you for the privilege of being here. Yes, my trailer is hitched up. I rarely leave the night that I finish, but... I'm only an hour and a half away from my home, and I don't get home very often, and I'll lose half a day if I wait till tomorrow. So if you don't mind, uh, we'll just take all the time we want to tonight, but whenever we're done, uh, then I'll uh, uh, head out. And on Saturday, I head to uh, West Virginia uh, for the next meeting, then on to Maryland and so forth. As the Lord brings us to mind, we certainly uh, would appreciate your prayer. We mentioned a few more items there on the back table. Last night we dealt with the uh, wonderful truth of those new realities from 2 Corinthians 5.17. That message is woven together with another message on Galatians 2.20 in this book called Experiencing Jesus. Uh, so much of the truth that we covered last night is actually in this book. In fact, remember those diagrams, the concentric circles, all that stuff? Okay, we got them here. And uh, in a lot more detail than I was able to give, believe it or not. Did you know that message could have been longer? <laughs> but uh, at any rate, <laughs> uh, it goes into some of those lies that we talked about at the end of the message and so forth. If you look at any of the books that I've written, <clears throat> each one gets smaller and smaller. <laughs> Uh, the reason for that is one of my early books was like 250 pages, and I uh, had that out there on the table, and I'd watch people come by, pick it up, look at the size of it, and put it right back down. <laughs> so they've been getting smaller ever since. Uh, but this is just a small book, uh, but uh, it's dealing with that uh, focus that we had last night. And then uh, the focus of tonight's message is in this book. This would be a, an eight-chapter expansion of what we're going to uh, look at in the time that we have tonight uh, under the title Friendship with the Holy Spirit. This deals with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We'll dive into that tonight. There's a chapter in this book that we'll not be able to touch tonight. It's dealing with the Holy Spirit as our guide. 
In other words, how do you tell the difference between the Holy Spirit's leading and your own strong desire? You know, we can fake ourselves out and say, God let us. And then crash and burn and have our faith hurt. So we need to understand, how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference between the Holy Spirit and counterfeit, the enemy? And so there's Bible truth that uh, uh, gives us uh, ways to discern. That chapter goes into that. Also on the table, we have some materials uh, that are part of what's called the Netcasters uh, Evangelizing or Evangelism Training Course. It's a course on the Spirit for Life applied to witnessing, uh, which is where God takes it. And uh, so uh, I didn't bring it up here because it's, it's a larger box, but that box on the table is called the Netcasters Tackle Box. And in it is the uh, Spiral Workbook. Uh, there's a set of DVDs of the lectures. And the uh, textbook is the book, The Revived Life. That's also uh, sold as an independent piece on the table. Uh, then uh, there's a number of packages of tracks and the various materials that are a part of Netcasters. There's a view book uh, that we use, a flip chart that helps people who have a hard time memorizing, and they can use that and so on. And it's been an absolute delight to see the Spirit of God uh, open people's eyes and they begin to apply truth and many times lead their first soul to Christ. Uh, others leading people to Christ that uh, uh, they haven't uh, seen a whole lot happen and they begin to see God work. They begin to tap into the Holy Spirit, the rivers of living water. And uh, so that course is available. The whole course is in that box. Uh, we've repackaged it in recent months. It's much cheaper than it used to be. And uh, so uh, that's available. And some of the independent pieces that are on the table as well. We have a track that's called the How Track. This is the gospel presentation. As we teach it in Netcasters, this can be used as a track that you give to a lost person, or it can, like a view book or like a flip chart, be used just as a tool to walk through the gospel. And uh, many times in our Netcaster training, people have used this little tool and trusted the Spirit of God to lead their first soul to Christ. And so uh, that's been an absolute joy. And uh, so this is very colorfully done, uh, but uh, just walking through the gospel presentation. Uh, we also have, those are in packages of 25, we also have a, a website called Salvation Focus. We have these little cards. It's about half of a business card size. Uh, this is for those times when you don't have the bigger pockets and you just you got a little bit of space to tuck it in somewhere. Uh, but uh, obviously you can't have, uh, there's not enough space to have the, the gospel uh, on the, this little card. But it's a, uh, it gets people to the website. Uh, there's a QR code here. If you don't know what that is, that's all right. Anybody under 40 does. <laughs> but <laughs> at any rate, uh, it uh, uh, gets people to a gospel website called Salvation Focus. And there we have a video that's a detailed explanation of the gospel. So these are tracked cards. If you have any questions about any of that, feel free to see us afterwards about it. We also have our regular website, Revival Focus, revivalfocus.org, uh, where we have the uh, books and materials that are available, uh, information on conferences, and there's a blog where I write uh, usually about two articles a week. Well, it's been a joy to be here. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13 in the Word of God tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, as we've been dealing with the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Especially uh, when it comes to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so truth by truth, we've been peeling back some layers. And tonight, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, which is the benediction of this book. A book that speaks much about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it was 2 Corinthians 3, where we started in Sunday school just a few days ago. And I think it's ironic that on a night when many are celebrating evil spirits... We're going to celebrate the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Look at this text. It says the grace, this is verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion 
of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, be with you all. I want to hone in on that last phrase. May the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The title of the message tonight is Friendship with the Holy Spirit. The revival relationship. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be our teacher tonight. Blessed Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity of this evening. Thank you for these days together. Thank you for these that have come, many of them night after night. Others every night that they could. Now, Spirit of the living God, would you open our understanding once again. And Lord, give us clarity based on the inspired words of truth. And would you nurture faith in our hearts to further us down that revival road. And this revival relationship with the Lord Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I plead the blood of Jesus, protect us from the attack of the enemy tonight, especially this night. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy. And in your name that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, we need a fresh meeting with you tonight. Would you ignite your fire in our hearts? We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last century, there was a medical doctor that God called to preach by the name of Walter Wilson. How many of you know the name of Walter Wilson? All right, a few of you do. Let me introduce you to this dear man. Uh, He was a man that was greatly used for the Lord to lead multitudes to Jesus Christ. You can look him up. You'll find his books like Just What the Doctor Ordered. And they're just soul winning stories of divine appointments and uh, miracles where uh, God used this dear man to bring people to Christ. But it was not always that way. In fact, he was quite frustrated. He had a desire to be used of God. He longed to be used of God. But for years, he was very ineffective. Maybe you can relate. And God used a confrontation one day with a missionary from France to change everything. This man of God said to Walter Wilson, what is the Holy Spirit to you? To which Walter Wilson replied, he's the third person of the Godhead. To which the man of God replied, well, what you've said is true, but you did not answer my question. I asked, what is the Holy Spirit to you? See, relationship. What does he mean to you? Walter Wilson said he was dumbfounded. And after an awkward silence, he was honest enough to say, well, he means nothing to me at all. I know who he is, but I have no personal relationship with him. To which this man of God responded saying, that is why your life is barren and your ministry is fruitless. Now that's a confrontation. Now Lord willing, we'll tell the end of that story at the end of the message. But how would you have answered that question? What is the Holy Spirit to you? Could we have said anything different? Well, he's the third person of the Godhead. But that's not the question. What is the Holy Spirit to you? Relationship. What does he mean to you? Another way to word it is, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? You know, if I were to ask married couples here tonight, hey, how's your relationship with your spouse? We know exactly what we're talking about. For those of you that have children, when I ask, how's your relationship with your kids? We understand that. Okay, so the question is, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because this is an amazing privilege. 
And it is a revival relationship. And in this benediction, this prayer, at the end of this inspired book, the apostle writes, May the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word communion means fellowship. It's translated fellowship in other passages. It means partnership, a sharing together, a companionship, a joint participation, a functioning together as one. It is a picturesque word of friendship. And he says, may this friendship, may this communion, may this fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is not just for certain elite saints. There is no such thing. This is for every child of God. Regardless of how long you've been saved. Regardless of your age, your gender. This is your privilege. In fact, this is God's desire. It is the will of God for you and I to enter into a vibrant friendship with the Holy Spirit. Friend, are you enjoying a rich relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know when you got saved, the Holy Spirit moved in. We talked about that last night. Your spirit was regenerated, and then the Holy Spirit moved in to lead and to enable. So you're actually in the partnership. Our responsibility is to cultivate and develop a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. In the human realm, you and I have to cultivate relationships, okay? It's the same idea. Now, how can the believer, as the human partner, develop a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit as the heavenly partner? Well, in order for us to fulfill our responsibilities in this miraculous friendship, we must simply understand who the Holy Spirit is to us. That then will provide insight into our uh, relational responsibilities to him. So tonight, from the midst of a vast, really, array of truth regarding the Holy Spirit, let's focus in on three biblical affirmations of who the Holy Spirit is to us, to you. Number one, he is the divine friend. In this friendship with the Holy Spirit, there's a human partner and there's a divine partner. And obviously the Holy Spirit is the divine partner. That means that we are dealing with a relationship with God. And since the Holy Spirit is the divine friend, we must honor the Spirit as God. (laughs) Of course, along with the Father and the Son. You have the Godhead right in our text. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's God the Son, and the love of God, there's the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, there's obviously the Spirit, be with you all. So let's just ask a couple of questions to guide us through this, because I think there's a whole lot more misunderstanding out there than perhaps we may recognize on the surface. The first question is, is the Holy Spirit truly God? All right, all across the audience, I see heads nodding, yes. And you're exactly right. He is God. We already noted that we have the Godhead right in our text. And yet I find that for many, they know the Holy Spirit is God. They affirm that in their doctrine. But in their practice, the Holy Spirit is treated as a second-class citizen in the Godhead. So doctrinally, we're Trinitarians, and practically, we're not, when that's the case. 
And your practice reveals your real theology. And this is not a small matter. This is big stuff. This is major doctrine. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet, perhaps we have overreacted to others, as I mentioned on Sunday, Sunday who have gone into excesses, and we're afraid. As one dear man put it in a Q&A time that we had in one meeting, he said, you know, yeah. he, he said, you know you, you're right. He said, I kind of thought that we fundamentalists had the Father and the Son and the Charismatics have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it's killing us. Because fundamentalist or charismatic, we need Father, Son, and the Spirit based on Bible truth. And so we need to recognize this is a very important matter. Obviously, yes, the Holy Spirit is God. Matthew 28, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is obviously co-equal with the Father and the Son. They all three are God. One God in three persons. Psalm 139, whither shall I flee from thy spirit? There's not a place you and I can go where the Spirit is not there. Well, only God is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is God. He's called the eternal Spirit. Hebrews 9, 14. Well, only God is eternal. So, yes, the Holy Spirit is God. And friends, that means that we need to treat him as God. See, honor him as God along with the Father and the Son. Otherwise, he gets relegated to the second class citizen, as it were, in the Godhead uh, for fear of going into strange fire. And when we do that, we're into another error on the other side of the coin. Now, some may wonder, well, doesn't everybody believe the Holy Spirit is God? I would like to think so. <laughs> Let's go to a second question. Should the Holy Spirit be glorified as God, along with the Father and the Son? Well, is he God? <laughs> when the, the answer then should be obvious. And yet there's a lot of confusion here. I was preaching one time, and after the service, it was a setting, there were a number of preachers in the audience, and the preacher came up, and he was quite exercised. That was a mild way of putting it. <laughs> he was mad. And he said, you, 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 he said, you can't glorify the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, where does the Bible say that? The Bible never says that. Now, how about when the Bible says honor God, but it doesn't specify, specify Father, Son, or Spirit? <laughs> then does it not include Father, Son, and Spirit? That was our text in the Sunday morning service, which was on your bulletin cover. Talks about honoring God. Doesn't specify which person. Well, obviously, all three are included. So why the confusion? Well, Jesus said in John 16, 14, He, the Spirit, shall glorify me. That's true. One of the ministries of the Spirit is to glorify the Son. But it never says we're not to glorify the Spirit. And so people take a jump there that's not there. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, it's a wonderful study to go in and look at the persons of the Godhead, and you'll find that each person of the Godhead glorifies the other two. As A.W. Tozer puts it, did you know that the persons of the Godhead are not jealous of each other? <laughs> because you're dealing with one God. Again, some of the confusion comes from a misunderstanding of a phrase in John 6, 16, 13. Again, the Lord Jesus is speaking. He's actually teaching on the Holy Spirit. And he says of the Spirit, He the Spirit... Uh, shall not speak of himself. So people say, see, the Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself, so we shouldn't talk about him either. And that is the conclusion that many have come to. The problem is that's not what it said. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. 
He didn't say about, he said of. The word of means he doesn't speak from himself. In other words, the Holy Spirit does not speak uh, from himself. He always speaks and works in perfect unison with the Father and the Son. But yes, he spoke about himself. How do you think we know about him? How did we get this book? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Ah, he's the author. Do you know there are 347 explicit references to the Holy Spirit in this book? In fact, 261 of those are in the New Testament. Now, those numbers are far exceeded by the much greater number of references explicitly to the Lord Jesus Christ in keeping with the Holy Spirit's ministry to glorify the Son and testify of the Son. But yes, he spoke about himself. That's how we know about him. In fact, it's very interesting, that same phrase Jesus used in John 14, 10, when he said, I speak not of myself. Now think, if you go to John 16, 13 and look at the phrase, he, the Spirit, shall not speak of himself and conclude, okay, you cannot talk about the Spirit. Then when Jesus said, I I speak not of myself, you'd have to conclude you couldn't talk about Jesus, which shows that obviously the thinking is wrong. And friends, ideas matter. And so we need to understand he is God and thus can be glorified as God along with the Father and Son. In other words, we're not talking about independently glorifying the Spirit and ignoring the Father and the Son. That would be out of balance. We're talking about glorifying the Spirit along with the Father and the Son. Now here's another question. Who revealed the Father? The answer there would be the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus said to Philip. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the... Father. So Jesus is the express revelation of the Father. He revealed the Father. Okay, who reveals the Son? Ah, the Holy Spirit. In fact, that takes us right back to that verse in John 16, uh, 13, or 14. He shall glorify me for, Jesus said, he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. You see, it is the Spirit who shows us Jesus. Just as Jesus reveals the Father, the Spirit reveals the Son. Now, why is this important? Well, let's follow the logic of Jesus in John 5. There he says, you're to honor the uh, the Son as you honor the Father. Well, that makes sense because the Son is the revelation of the Father. And he goes on to say that if you do not honor the Son, you are not honoring the Father. Why? Because the Son reveals the Father, and therefore, in order to honor the Father, you must also honor the Son because He is the revelation of the Father. So when someone says they believe in Jehovah, and they worship Jehovah, and they are witnesses of Jehovah, but then deny the deity of Jesus Christ, they are deceived. While they think they are honoring Jehovah, they are dishonoring him because Jesus is the revelation of the Father. And that means in order to honor the Father, you have to honor Jesus. And when they deny the deity of Jesus, they are dishonoring the Father and don't even realize it. Okay, so let's take the same logic. Since the Spirit reveals the Son as the Son reveals the Father, If then we have a desire to honor the Son, that in all things he might have the preeminence, then whom must we also honor in order to fully honor the Son? The Holy Spirit. Wow. And if we have relegated him to a second-class 
kind of citizenship in the Godhead, if we kind of minimize him and we kind of neglect the Holy Spirit because we don't, don't want to get in this wildfire thing, then what happens is we're not honoring the Spirit, which means we're not honoring Jesus. And there are people who, who think that they're honoring Jesus and in order to do so, they've got to ignore the Holy Spirit. What a deception. Because it is the Spirit who reveals the Son. Which means in order to honor the Son, you must also honor the Spirit. In fact, since the Spirit takes of what is Christ and shows Him unto us, if you ignore the Spirit, you just cut off your God-given avenue of seeing Jesus. Ideas matter. And so, we need to honor Father, Son, and Spirit. One last question in this first point. What is the Spirit like? Or better yet, who is the Spirit like? Well, in Philippians 1.19, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. <laughs> He's like Jesus. Why? He's the spirit of Jesus. In fact, in John 14, when Jesus told his disciples, I'm leaving. But it's to your advantage. Because I'm sending another comforter, even the spirit of truth. And he said to them, and you know him. For he dwells with you and shall be in you. Next verse. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Did you catch that? He just said, I'm leaving. He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He says, you know it. He dwells with you and shall be in you. And then he defines how the Holy Spirit shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That lets us know that the Spirit is here not merely in the stead of Christ. He brings Christ right to us so that the Bible can say Christ lives in me which we sang tonight from Galatians 2.20. Ah, you see, he's like Jesus. He brings Christ's life right to us. Now, friends, that means we need to get to know the Spirit. And when you do, you get to know Jesus. Remember years ago, I felt like, oh, man, I just did not feel like I had a close relationship with Jesus. And I was saved. I got saved as a child. This was adult ministry, and I'm thinking... You know, I just don't sense a close relationship with Jesus. And it bothered me. Well, it should. Well, you know, in the goodness of God, God stirred me to do a study on the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. Wow. What a time. So as I'm reading through the Word of God, I'm looking for what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. So all year long, I'm making notations. Genesis, all the way into the New Testament, all the way to Revelation. You know what happened? Here I am studying the Holy Spirit, and guess what happened? The sun rose. Remember, the Spirit glorifies the sun. The Spirit testifies to the sun. So if you get to know the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? The sun rises. You see, friends, if you want to get to know Jesus, if you want a closer relationship with Jesus, get to know the Holy Spirit, and you'll soon be crying out, Ah, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's how it works. So he's the divine friend. Secondly, not only is he the divine friend, he is a personal friend. This lets us know that this relationship, yes, it's a relationship with God, but it is a relationship with a person. And this is critical to our understanding. And since the Holy Spirit is a person and thus a personal friend, a personal partner, we must treat the Holy Spirit, and this is deep, as a person. <laughs> and it's important. Why? Because he is a person. It says here in our text, 
the communion of the Holy Spirit. Here the definite article is present, emphasizing his person. We've already noted the word communion, uh, fellowship, sharing together. You see, the word communion demands that which is mutual, that which is reciprocal, that which is personal, relational. So a couple of key thoughts. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a personality. And, you know, when you get to know a person, when you get to meet a person, it takes a while to cultivate their personality. Sometimes you meet them, you size them all up, and as you get to know them, you find out you're sized them up completely wrong. (laughs) Okay, in the same way, when you got saved, you met the Holy Spirit, he moved in. But we need to cultivate his personality. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person, which means he's not an impersonal force. I think probably doctrinally, especially in a church like this, you know that. And yet, why do we say things like, you know, something told me. It actually reveals our true understanding. Academically, we say he's a person, but in actuality, we view him as something, a force. Watching Star Wars too much. You see, he's not a force. He's a person. He's almighty God, yes, but he is a person. He's not impersonal. He's personal. You see, he's not a signpost. He's not an inanimate object. He's not a signpost that has an arrow that says, go this way. No, he's a person who speaks and says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And so he's personal. Jesus, teaching on the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, the greatest treatise on the Holy Spirit in the entire Scripture, spoke of the Holy Spirit repeatedly as him and he. Which means when you got saved, he, not it, moved into you. Now, academically we know, okay, he's a person, therefore he's a he, not an it. And yet I hear people all the time. In fact, this just happens all the time. Every year. I'm on the road. I'm in, I don't know how many churches every year and so forth and so on, and I'll be in a conversation with somebody, and in the conversation, they will refer to the Holy Spirit as it. This happens all the time. How would you like to be called it? Suppose after the service tonight, Pastor and I are talking, and we're talking about you. And you know, as you're walking by, your antennas go up and say, I heard my name. <laughs> and you know, it's amazing how that is. And, uh, and so you slow your pace. Is this good or bad? What are they saying? You know. <laughs> and as you walk by, suppose you hear us say things like, you know, and it said such and such. And it did such and such. And every time we referred to you, we referred to you as It. Would that be offensive to you? Sure. Then maybe we need to get right with the Holy Spirit. He is a person and therefore should be treated as a person. We saw Sunday, grieve not the Spirit. Only a person can be grieved. And so we need to understand he's a person. Do we treat him that way? So the Holy Spirit is a personality. A second key thought A friendship is a relationship, and in a relationship, you have to relate. (laughs) That was another deep one. (laughs) 
but it's so important. Now, let's suppose tonight this was a seminar on marriage, husbands and wife, husband-wife relationship. And I asked the question, okay, what would be one of the key ingredients to cultivating a vibrant, healthy uh, husband-wife relationship? Now, there's a number of things we could mention, but what's going to be right up there at the top when we talk about cultivating a vibrant relationship between husband and wife? Communication. You know, every audience I ask about this, they understand that. It's just somehow in our human psyche. As a human being, we know you've got to have communication. So if we're going to have a relationship with the Spirit where we relate, then among other things, yes, there must be communication. So let's ask, does the Holy Spirit communicate to us? Well, sure he does. About Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We saw that last night in the concentric circles. It's their innermost being, your regenerated spirit, that new man. That's where the Holy Spirit moves in, and that's where he speaks. Now, that's a help to us because that lets us know that his communication is in our innermost being. It's not outside audible voices where counterfeits can take place. It's not even the circumference of our being, our outer man. No, it's our inner man. Learn to discern your spirit, where the Holy Spirit speaks. And uh, he bears witness with our spirit. So he speaks to us that we are the children of God. Not that we feel like it, but that we are. When that happens, you know that we are. It's not a feeling, it's a knowing. But he speaks. He communicates. Well, he communicates to us. Can we, ought we, should we communicate with him? Well, is he God? And is he a person? Then the answer should be obvious. As Walter Wilson once put it, personal presence, remember he's in us, automatically carries with it the privileges of conversation. (laughs) You know what kind of marriage would a couple have if only one partner did all the talking? (laughs) I won't go where we go with that. (laughs) But obviously we have to have two-way communication. (laughs) Now, that all makes common sense. Does the Bible ever tell us to communicate to or with the Holy Spirit? Well, how about our text? May the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word communion, fellowship, interaction, uh, sharing together. See, it demands two-way communication. It demands it. And that's an inspired word. That's explicit. On the implicit level, in John 14 through 16, when Jesus said he was leaving but that he was sending the Holy Spirit, he called the Holy Spirit another comforter. And he uses a word another that means another of the same kind. Okay, so when Jesus was on earth, did he speak with his disciples? Yes. Did they speak with him? Yes. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is coming as another of the same kind. Which means... We can speak to him. He speaks to us just like the disciples did with Jesus. He's another of the same kind. It's a particular word. He could have used another word. He didn't. He used that word. That lets us know that, yes, obviously there's two-way communication. Now, the issue here is communication, not necessarily the concept of praying. When a husband and wife are communicating with other, they're not praying to each other. Well, occasionally the wife is asking for the wallet. (laughs) But generally, we wouldn't call this prayer. So the major issue here is communication. 
However, since I brought it up on purpose, <laughs> let me ask. Is it improper to ever, I did not say only, but is it improper to ever address the Holy Spirit in prayer? Well, is he God? Then the answer should be obvious. Do you know that in Ezekiel 37, God commanded his prophet to pray to the Spirit and the prayer is recorded? It's Ezekiel 37, 9. Uh, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And down in verse 14, we're told that that breath is the Spirit. And so here you have, as H.A. Ironside points out, the prophet Ezekiel praying to the Spirit and God commanded him to do it. Fascinating. And so, obviously, there are times when this would be legitimate. In this very meeting, we have sung prayers to the Spirit. Spirit of the living God. Fall fresh on me. That's a prayer to the Spirit if you're thinking about what you're singing. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Breathe on me, breath of God. Oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. It's right on our hymnals. Now, obviously, those from another era didn't have any hang-up with this. In our day, because of the confusion, some people have got, gotten hung up on this. And... Uh, uh, often uh, they refer to the Lord's Prayer. And they say, well, see, you know, Jesus said to pray our Father. Okay, well, a couple of thoughts about that. that. The first time we're told that is in the book of Matthew. And when we're told that, Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, and so forth and so on. Okay, he didn't say this was the only prayer you could pray. And think of it further. If based on the Lord's Prayer, you can only pray to the Father then to be consistent, not only could you not pray to the Spirit, you could not pray to Jesus. You know, friends, that's wrong. <laughs> we read in the Gospels, Jesus, a son of David, have mercy on me. That's a prayer. How about when Peter was sinking? <laughs> Lord, save me. That's a quick one. <laughs> and so, obviously, people prayed to Jesus. And... Uh, based on what people are saying, based on the Lord's Prayer, then that would be improper. Not only that, if based on the Lord's Prayer, you can only say our Father, then based on the same logic, the only prayer you could ever pray would be what's called the Lord's Prayer. And you're right back to religious mantras. So obviously that's a misunderstanding. Not only that, in the book of Acts, there are 13 prayers recorded, and 12 of them say Lord, not Father. It's just a fact. And sometimes it's very clear it's not talking about the Father, it's talking about Jesus. And we saw in the Sunday School hour in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, it says, now the Lord is that Spirit. <laughs> so obviously there's confusion in this matter of the Godhead. Now what's interesting, you go into the Old Testament and there's no indication, there's really not any precedent uh, to pray to Jesus. Pray to the Father, yes, uh, but not really to Jesus. But when he came, then it was obvious they prayed to Jesus. Okay. In the same way, there's not a whole lot mentioned in the New Testament, though there is a little bit. I'll mention a little bit more in a second. But now that Jesus ascended and sent his spirit, then obviously it's the same thing. He's the one, uh, the person of the Godhead, who's presently here. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 9, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? Well, who did Jesus send on the day of Pentecost to begin the Gentile harvest? We're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. 
Who, that's Acts 2, who was it in Acts 8 that said to Philip, join yourself to this chariot so that the Ethiopian eunuch could be harvested? We're specifically told that was the Spirit. Who was it in Acts chapter 10 that said to Peter, go with these men, nothing doubted, to get him over to Cornelius' house to open up the door to the Gentile harvest? We're specifically told that was the Spirit. Who was it in Acts 13 that said to the church at Antioch, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them? What work was that? The first missionary journey. Harvest, harvest, harvest. We're specifically told that was the Spirit. Who was it in Acts 16 that forbade Paul's team from going this way to get them over into the Macedonian harvest? We're specifically told again that was the Holy Spirit. So, who's the Lord of the harvest? Well, the implication is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, again, the issue is not prayer. The issue is communication. But there can be balance. This is not a matter of getting out of balance. It's a matter of getting back into balance. I'm in no way saying downplay the Father. No way. Do you know it is the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, who enables us to cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. It is our privilege to say our Father. And much of the time, if not most, we're going to say, Father! And what a privilege. So we're not downplaying the Father. Not downplaying the son. No, that in all things he might have the preeminence. What we are saying is it's time to stop downplaying the spirit. This is not a matter of getting out of balance. It's a matter of getting back into balance. Now, we don't have to get bent out of shape about it either. I was in Ireland one time and a guy said, Wow, can I just say Lord and let God assign it to the right person? <laughs> no, we don't need to get bent out of shape about it, but we need to stop willfully ignoring the spirit. That's the problem that needs to be corrected. And I will say that when God's people have gotten right with the Spirit, marvelous things have followed. I remember a meeting in another country, in Asia, where the pastor got up and said, Oh, Holy Spirit, forgive me for not treating you as a person. Remember hearing the same thing in the Philippines. Remember hearing the same thing in a church in Iowa. And on every one of these occasions, it is amazing what happened when God's people got right with the Spirit. All of a sudden, the spirit of revival was apparent. And so if we have marginalized, downplayed, neglected, ignored the Holy Spirit, let's get right with Him. So He is a personal friend. And that brings us to the final truth. Not only is He... The divine friend and a personal friend, he is the senior friend. He is the senior partner. You know, in a partnership where you have a senior and a junior, you've got to make it, you know, it's got to be clear who's the senior and who's the junior, or you've got a two-headed monster. So obviously in this relationship, this friendship, this partnership with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the senior partner. We saw that last night. He's the real leader. So he moved in to lead us. He moved in to enable us. And so we looked Sunday at those uh, commands. You know, stop grieving the Spirit. Stop quenching the Spirit. In other words, obey Him. Get right about sin if there's sin. And now say yes when He leads. We talked about walking in the Spirit. Depend on His power. So you have these two levels. There's His leadership and there's His enablement. If you just trust His power but it's for your leadership, that won't go anywhere. If you say, I'm following your leadership, but you depend on your own power, that won't go anywhere. But you depend both on his power and his leadership, and that's where you see heaven explode on earth in your life. That's how it works. Now, 
access. I've touched on it several times this week, but let's just conclude tonight. When we think of him as the senior partner who empowers us to obey his will, okay, how do we access this? What are the steps of faith that are involved? Well, the steps are going to vary. We need to understand that. Uh, Faith is God dependence based on God's words. But the faith steps will vary based on where you are at in a given matter. Simply put, there are two major categories. You can get more analytical. But simply put, you have the category of living right yourself. We call that victory or holiness. Our personal living right. And then there's the matter of ministry or service. So that's impacting others. So there's impact for you, personal holiness, personal victory, then there's impacting those outside of you, that is personal service or personal ministry. It is fascinating. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That little word, word, means the specific word of God. The specific words of God that deal with personal victory are all in the present tense. I've emphasized that in some of the other messages. So when it comes to personal holiness, the provision is present. His name is Jesus. He moved in. He lives in you. Thanks be to God who is giving us the victory. Jesus Christ is living in me, Galatians 2.20, by faith. Okay, so there has to be the faith access, but understand the provision is in the present tense. It is a fact. We saw the fruit of the Spirit is. And so the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus, since it's Him in us, is presently available. Okay, so when it comes to accessing present realities, facts, for personal victory, there are two faith steps. One is taking what God is giving, and then the second one is acting on it. You know what I used to do? Just act! You know what that was? Just me. (laughs) You know what that meant? I either fell flat on my face or I produced good motions. The form of godliness. And there is a form. But that denies the power thereof. An unsaved moralist can do the same thing. And just that, as that is counterfeit religion for them, it's counterfeit sanctification for us. When it's just act, it's just you. In other words, if you don't have inflow and you just have outflow, there's nothing there to flow. (laughs) And so there has to be the take step first, where we take God at his word, so that when we act, now his life is imparted to us. Christ in us imparted to us, so that you experience Jesus. This is what we talked about. Uh, Say, for example, the matter of long-suffering or patience. I've mentioned this a time or two, but it's such a big one. Uh, There are things that happen during a given day that frustrate and and irritate, and and we can get impatient, and we can even get mad and explode. Okay, you don't have time to go through, you know, a three-hour prayer meeting to get patience. It's a good thing this is based on a fact that's already available. His name is Jesus, and he lives in you. And thanks be to God who is giving us the victory. So if he is giving, then we should be taking. And if you take, you ought to say thank you. Why? Because you ought to be courteous. (laughs) You know, if somebody gave you a $100 bill and said, I want you to have this, and you take it, what do you say? Thank you. See, the thank you means you believe you have received. It's the apex of faith. Thanks be to God who's giving us the victory. Jesus, thank you, Lord. 
And you can, you know, you can get more specific. Thank you for your patience or thank you for your love or thank you for your purity. But the bottom line is, God, thank you. It's not a mantra of words. It's a transaction of trusting a person. And as you trust, now you can obey. As you take, now you can act. And now when you act, it's not just you. It's the Spirit imparting the very life of Christ to you so that there actually is patience and there is that soft answer and there is that freedom to look the other way and be free from that, uh, uh, that uh, temptation uh, as if you didn't see it. You see, you're accessing Jesus. That's how that works. I've mentioned that several times. But what about not just Christ to you, but Christ through you out to those around you? Ministry. The provision statements, the promises of God, the specific truth, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, the specific word of God, when it comes to effective ministry, is given to us in the future tense. These are the will-be's and the shall-be's. Now, there's a whole lot more, but these are the two major categories. You say, well, how does this differ? You just add a step at the beginning. You see, in a fact, in a reality that's present, you don't have to ask for it because it's already there. And if you do ask for it, it means you don't believe it's there. (laughs) God's merciful and says, look, it's already there, so why don't you just take it? (laughs) But you can save time if you just learn that, hey, you can take. But when it is a promise, it's, it's not is yet, so you can't take it. So generally, it starts with asking. Sometimes there's a very specific step, like if we confess our sins, then here's what will happen. But most of the time, it's just ask. For example, when we need wisdom. That's a part of ministering to those around us, not just us. Okay, uh, James 1.5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask. Of God that giveth all men liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall. See, it's a promise, be given. So you can't just start taking it because this is a shall be, but you can ask. And here's what will happen. As you ask, the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit at some point. As you're praying, God, I need wisdom. I've got the situation, uh, you know, with the kids or the situation at work. God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm asking for wisdom. Now, God, you said you'd give it. Now, at some moment, you'll sense the Spirit communicating with your spirit. You got it. Which means you just went from will be to is. Which means you can stop asking and start taking and say, man, we're getting this. And then... You can act on it. You can go forward in the confidence that that wisdom is being granted. Why? Because you feel it? No. Because the Bible says so. Well, how about this whole matter of soul winning and ministry to others in that fashion? Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall, there's our promise, your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit definite articles absent. Give the quality of the Spirit to those who ask. And friends, every time you're coming into a ministry setting, in fact, every day there's opportunities for ministry, so we can pray this, God, I'm going to talk to brother, you know, or not brother yet, I'm going to talk to so-and-so because he needs to become a brother. I'm going to talk to so-and-so at work. Lord, this guy doesn't know you yet, and I'm burdened for him. You put that burden in my heart. But God, if you don't enable me, this isn't going to go very well. And if you don't open his understanding, he's not going to get it. So God, enable me to speak so I'm unashamed and enable him to hear with understanding. See, what you're doing is you're asking for the quality of the spirit in this thing, where he enables you and frees you to speak, and he convinces the hearer. Why? He's the convincer. So you're saying, God, would you just grant that touch from heaven, that quality of your spirit? 
And there'll be that moment where the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit. You got it. And it's as if he's standing there holding out the quality of the Spirit. And that's when you can stop asking and say, thank you, Lord. You take. And now you go forward in the confidence that he's enabling. Why? Because you feel it? No, because it says so. Now, there are moments when you do sense God carrying you. There are other moments when you don't sense a thing. (laughs) You say, why doesn't God give us the feeling all the time? Because then we'd start depending on the feeling. And I'm going to tell you, to be honest with you, I've had times when I have just sensed God carrying me and, you know, opening things up. That's wonderful. But, you know, to me, it's more wonderful to not feel a thing. And yet that person you're talking to is overwhelmed and they call on the name of the Lord. And you're thinking, wow, I didn't feel anything. Look at that. Look what God just did. You know it's God. You see, it's just like in salvation when somebody calls on the name of the Lord and then they take God at his word. And we tell them, how do you know you're saved? Because it says so. So how can you be filled with the Spirit of God and know it? It's the same way. When you ask, God, I need your power. I need you to enable the Lord. I need you to step into this thing. And he says, you've got it and you take. Now you can act on it knowing that he is filling you. He is overflowing. He is touching those around you. Why? Because the Bible says so. John 6, or excuse me, 738. When you believe on him, rivers of living water shall flow. The condition is as simple as getting saved. Calling on the name of the Lord and taking him at his word. It's just that in John 7, it's not for eternal life. It's so rivers of living water can flow out of you and touch those around you. So that's how we can be filled and know it. And so, let's take the steps. Walter Wilson. He got hungry. That confrontation that day, it stirred something in him. He wanted that relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, God promises that he satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. If you seek him, he will be found of him, uh, of you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And so Walter Wilson was seeking. He was seeking him. The personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in the providence of God, he heard James M. Gray from Moody Church, Chicago, preach a sermon on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And in that sermon, he pointed out, it says you're to present your body unto God. He said, now it doesn't say which person of the Godhead, but which person of the Godhead lives in you. The Holy Spirit. And so James Gray said, it is the Holy Spirit that you must present your body to and say, you've got it all. In other words, when you got saved, he moved into your spirit. Now you're presenting him the rest of you. You got all of him, but he didn't necessarily get all of us. Okay, and so you're presenting everything to him. And Walter Wilson said, this is it. And James Gray at the end of the sermon said, will you do this tonight? And so Walter Wilson went home and he took his Bible and he opened it up to Romans 12, 12, 1 and 2. And he laid flat on the floor. There's nothing magical, but that's just what he did. And he put his finger on that text. And addressing the Holy Spirit, he said, essentially, I give you my eyes to see through, my ears to hear through, my tongue to speak through, my hands to work through, my feet to go through. And he cast his dependence on the Holy Spirit as leader and life. The next day, he told his wife, it's going to be a great day. Last night, I gave everything to the Holy Spirit. I'm depending on him. And he's going to use me for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus. I know he will. And she, good wife, said, well, call me when something special happens. 
Three hours later, he called back. He said to his wife, two ladies came into the office. The Spirit of God said, speak. And he said, I spoke. And this time, the Spirit of God took the truth into their hearts. And they both saw that Jesus is the answer. He said, they both trusted Christ. Now, that was the beginning of effectiveness. For a man who had sincerely tried to win people to Christ for years, ineffectively. That was the beginning of the Walter Wilson that has written books on soul-winning stories. Divine appointments. The beginning of the Walter Wilson that entered into his revival relationship with the Holy Spirit. May we do the same. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now friends, tonight, as we bring the culmination of everything to a close, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? We've looked at truth after truth. We've seen the necessity of depending on the Spirit, through the life of Jesus in His humanity, though He was still God, but functioning as a man, depending on the Spirit. We saw last night the provision of Christ's nature implanted into us and Christ's Spirit indwelling us. Amazing. Do we ignore? Do we just kind of go forward on our own? Even tonight, have we slighted the Holy Spirit? I wonder who tonight, with our heads bowed, I haven't done much of this. Let me just ask a couple of questions, if I may. I wonder who tonight would say, Preacher, you know, you talked about treating the Holy Spirit as a second-class class citizen in the Godhead. Wow, I haven't done it intentionally, but I've, I'm afraid I've fallen into that. And God spoke to me. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Yes. God bless you. I appreciate the honesty. I wonder who would say, Preacher, you know, you talked about the fact that he's a person. And you can treat him and you ought to treat him as a person that he speaks to us and we can actually speak to him. I wonder who would say, you know what? That's a whole new vista for me. And God's thrilling me, challenging me, but speaking to me about communicating with the Spirit as a person. God spoke to me about that. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. A number of people. That's wonderful. I'm going to tell you, when we get right with the Holy Spirit on that one, it's huge. And then we saw that he's the senior friend. Now, let me ask this. I wonder who would say, Preacher, I've told the Lord I surrender all, but I'm afraid I've tried to carry it out in my own strength. And I see that I need to trust his power and trust his leadership. God spoke to me about that. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, many hands. I wonder who would say, for me, it's been the other way around. I'm always going to God for his power, but I'm afraid it's for my will instead of his will. And God showed me that problem. Would you raise the hand? Yes, several more. All right. I wonder who would say, preacher, you know, God's challenging me tonight to get both of those together. Maybe for some, you've never even thought about either one of those, but he's challenging you about the whole major concept that like Walter Wilson, it's time to say, you have all of me, my eyes to see through, my ears to hear through, my tongue to speak through, hands to work through, feet to go through. And you'd say, you know, God is challenging me to give everything to the Spirit and trust both his power and his leadership. That needs to become real for me. God spoke to me. Would you raise the hand? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Many, many. For some, perhaps there's been times when you've sought the Lord before, but perhaps have gotten away from it. 
Or perhaps there's been an area of truth where the Lord has let you know, look, this is based on him. It's not us trying to do it. It's us trusting his power to follow his will. And he does it to us and through us. Let me ask one other thing. Is there anyone in this audience that would say, Preacher, if I died right now, I don't even know I'd go to heaven. I need, uh, I need to know my sins are forgiven. I need to know I have eternal life. That's not been my emphasis but maybe that's your need. And salvation is not just getting you to heaven. It's getting Jesus into you. I wonder who would say, Preacher, that's my need. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless in these final moments. Lord, may we meet with you. As we bring this meeting to a close. Lord, may the seed not be snatched away by the enemy. Even now, as you have talked to us, May we talk to you. And Lord, I pray you'll do a work that will go far beyond these days so that months from now, there is ongoing transformation. Friends, if God has spoken to you, would you take this moment to just get to your knees if you can do that without pain? If you'd like, you can come into the front and get on your knees if you can do that without pain. Or you can kneel where you're at. But would you take some time right now to talk with God about what he's talking to you about as the music plays.